Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Well, good morning. Let me give you guys a brief introduction of myself before we get started. Um, my name is uh, Dusty Marshall, uh, not Justin, just throwing it out there. Uh, we love DJ. <clears throat> but I'm originally uh, from Hobbs, New Mexico. I was born and raised over there all my life until, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, we moved to Fort Worth and started attending Southwestern Seminary, and life changed and things happened. Uh, my wonderful wife, Elizabeth, she got her master's in Christian education. I've been still pursuing my master's of divinity, and lo and behold, God brought us back here where Liz's family is at, and my amazing father-in-law and mother-in-law are at. And, um, yes, ma'am? You can't hear me at all? Can, is that, can, can we adjust that a little bit to, to push that further back there? Is that better? All right, there we go. So we've, we're here in Alamogordo. Uh, my in-laws are amazing. They're here in the service this morning, so I have to say that. just want to let you guys know. Uh, but we've been blessed to be here. I pastored a, a church in Hobbs for four years as the senior pastor. I was a collegiate ministry director for the Baptist Convention in New Mexico for three years. And then in Fort Worth, I served as an associate pastor for seven years until we moved here. And now we've become members here at First Baptist, and we just get to sit where you guys are at and let Kyle just feed us God's Word. And uh, that's been a blessing to us. We haven't had that in a long time. So getting into God's Word and, and, and being able to preach and have this opportunity, I haven't done it in a, a while, so I'm a little bit nervous. So if I trip over some things, please forgive me if I mess something up. Um, Please let me know after service, and I will do the best I can to correct those things. But this morning, as we're talking, we're continuing that series in Genesis of what Kyle has started for us, and we're in Genesis 15. And as we get to all of those things, I want to give you a little bit of background before I have a stand and read Scripture of who I was before I came to Christ. My life before I came to Christ was as an atheist. I never believed that God could possibly exist in any way, shape, or form. I did everything I could to prove that God didn't exist. And lo and behold, by that research and everything I did, I came to the conclusion that there is no other option except for a creator to exist. And then as I carried that research further on, I came to the conclusion that there's no other option except for God, Yahweh, the biblical God that we find uh, in Scripture to be the one true God. And that is the moment my faith began. And so I believed I trusted in Christ, I believed in his death, burial, and resurrection, and lo and behold, here I am today. And so as we talk about Abraham, this is part of what we're going to read this morning of his faith and what's accounted to him as righteousness. So if you will stand with me as we read chapter 15, if you have the capability, please do. We're going to go read all the way through in honor of God's word. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring. <clears throat> so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. 
Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, and give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to him, split them down the middle, and laid the pieces opposite of each other. But he did not cut up the birds. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and suddenly a terror and great darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be strangers in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterwards they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking firepot and flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the Euphrates River, the land of Kenites, the Kezizites, Cadmonites, Hittites, uh, Perizzites, Raphim, uh, Amorites, Canaanites, Gerasites, and Jebusites. You may be seated. I'm sure I butchered a lot of those names. If you will, join me in prayer before we get started, now that we've read God's Word, and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning that we can dig into your Word. And I just ask you, as I humbly come before you, that the words that are spoken are not mine, but they're yours. That it would be your glory that's shown, especially as we talk about Abraham and his faith and the righteousness that's there and the covenant that you have set before him that we get to read and hear about. That this morning, Father, as we all come together as a family of believers, that we remember that and we would go out these doors and glorify you with our actions, our lives, and our words. In Christ's holy precious name we pray, amen. So this is an amazing story. I find it amazing as it starts out, and as we start hearing about Abraham, and we start hearing about what he's doing, at this point he's still known as Abram. And as it begins in chapter 15, verse 1, it starts out with after these events. So I have to give you guys a little bit of a preface here. What does he mean by after these events? Well, if you remember back in 14, and throughout what's going on here, Lot gets captured. There's a war going on between these nations that are happening, and so you have these city-states that's going on, right? You have these five kings that are going against these four kings, and they've set up taxes. So these five are paying to the four, and the five are going, this isn't going to happen anymore. We're done. About 13 years of this has gone on. We don't want to do this anymore. So war has kind of started up, and lo and behold, Lot has gotten caught in the crossfires. He's become captive, he's become a hostage, and Abram sets out a rescue mission. He has about 318 men that he rises up, he sets up, and he gets ready to fight against these others. And as you look at this, it's all these city-states that are going on. Abram has done this uh, going out. He set up this rescue mission. They fought well, and they've won their battle. And so they're coming back, the, the captives are released, they're being able to be set out, and this is what happens right here after these events. He runs into the king of Salem, which is Melchizedek. If you've ever heard the story of this high priest to the God of Most on High, 
he blesses Abraham in chapter 19, uh, or in chapter 14, verse 19. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and give praise to God Most High who has handed over your enemies to you. But it didn't stop there. Another king came along, uh, and that king that, that came along at that point was Bera, and, and what he did was he was the king of Sodom. Yes, that Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah. He comes over, and he wants to congratulate Abram, and he wants to say, good job. Let me give you a pat on the back. Not, not only have you been able to release these, the, the, our citizens and then bring them back to us, but I want you to keep the possessions, keep the spoils of war. Let me give this to you as a way to honor you. And Abram's response in that point is, no. No, thank you. I don't need that. I don't want that. I'm good. I don't need all those possessions to come to me. I, I, it's not there. <clears throat> he said that I will not take a thread or sandal strap of anything that belongs to you so you can never say, I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, so he says, that's not going to happen. I want nothing from Sodom. I know who Sodom is. I know where you come from. I want nothing to be given to you. I'm glad I was able to help. I'm glad I could release the citizens. I'm glad I could do what was right. But I don't need you to have the ability to say, you made me rich. And so then, in verse 15, it says, after these events. Now we have the context. Now we know why God is saying what he's saying. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had those moments where people's had to tell me not to be afraid. Not to be scared or don't be worried. And every time we see this in Scripture, we'll usually see the, an angel of the Lord or somebody come along in that aspect. And what's the first words that we hear that come out of Scripture? Don't be afraid. At this point, Abram may have been afraid. He may have been fearing something. He's just out of this battle. He's just out of this war that's been going on, and, he's, and all these things that have accomplished. And to my understanding, at times like that, especially in, in, in people that are in fights or, or in, in type of battle situations, after the battle's won, even in those moments right afterwards, that's when fear kind of hits you for a second. Or maybe prolonged even longer than that, depending on what you went through. And Abraham is standing in that moment. He's just had the king of, uh, of Sodom tell him, I'll give you all these possessions. He rejects that, and God comes along and says, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great through God. See, back in Genesis 12, too, God's already made this promise to Abraham. And so if you want to, you can turn there with me for just a second. And this is what's said in 12, chapter 2 of Genesis. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. See, this has already been said of God. He's already talked to him. He's already told him what's going on. Now he's giving him reassurance of what's happening here. 
He's already going through all these things. He's rejected the things of man so he could turn to the things of God. So it won't be man that tells him, I have made you rich, but it will be to the glory of God that has made him rich and a blessing. This is where Abraham sits. So after these events, this is what God says. But it doesn't go that simple, does it? Oftentimes, we get to read in Scripture, God comes down, he says something profound, he tells you what's going on, I've got you taken care of, and that's the it, right? Everybody in Scripture goes, oh, that sounds great. That's what we're going to do, right? From the examples of David to Moses to, to even the apostles, it's not exactly how it worked out, did it? There always became that question or that doubt or, or I want to know more or I have to understand. And so in verse 2, Abram said this to God. He said, but Lord God, what can you give me? Whew. I'm not sure about you guys, but I really don't want to ask God, what can you give me? Um, especially if I believe he's the creator of the heavens, the earth, and me, and everything else in it, right? He says, but Lord God, what can you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. He's going back to that promise he talked about in Genesis 12 too. God's telling him his reward's going to be great. I am your shield. And he's going to give up. What do you, okay, well, what is it then? What are you going to give me? Where's it at? How's it going to happen? What are you going to show me? So if you don't mind, if you can indulge me for a second, let me, let me chase a rabbit for just a minute. This is probably the hardest part of my life. Moving to Alamogordo, New Mexico from Fort Worth, Texas was not the exact idea that I had in mind when I moved to Fort Worth to begin with. To go to seminary and sit at Southwestern and study under some of the greatest professors, preachers, pastors, that I can imagine, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention today. I knew in my life I was called to do God's work. I knew I was to call, called to be a pastor. I knew I was called to preach his word and deliver it the best way that I could for his glory and his glory alone. But I didn't know I was called to Alamogordo, New Mexico, seven years later. Wasn't my ideal choice. So these are the words I often scream to God, then show me what you have for me. Show me what's going on. Because all I have is this. All I have are these things. Have you been there? But God, I've got a whole bunch of this and none of everything else. So here's what constantly goes through my head as a reminder, and we're going to find this later in verse 6. My reward is so great that I get to spend eternity with my God in perfection because of what Christ has done for me on the cross and would raise from the dead because of that. That my faith put into that and that alone, that I could be dead, that Christ could live in me, is a reward unlike anything I can describe. So in the moments I don't know, I know one truth. that heaven is going to be amazing. And I want to take as many people there with me as God will allow. 
So in this moment, I feel like I can relate to Abram for just a minute. But I know I don't want to dwell there. I know I don't want to sit in it. And so God moves on very quickly and explains to Abram what's going to happen. Verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside. He said, Look at the sky. Count the stars. If you were able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. I don't know about you guys, but if you ever sat in the DFW area and you tried to look at the stars at night, it just doesn't work. But for some odd reason, if you come to a place like Alamogordo, New Mexico, or drive up to Cloudcroft, you can see the stars real, real nice, real well. And I can only imagine as he looks up and God's telling him, you may have said that only this slave is going to be your heir because I've given you no offspring, but let me explain a truth to you. Look to the sky. Count the stars. Can you even count them, Abram? Because that's how much your offspring is going to be. That's how far and wide they will spread. That's the blessing I am giving you and the reward that I'm promising you. It's going to come. And we as believers today should understand that. We are here sitting at First Baptist today because in someone's eyes somewhere long ago, we were the stars they were looking at. And today we get to look and see the legacy that will be left after us to our grandkids, our great-grandkids, our great-great-grandkids, and so on and so forth, because they will be the stars that are left that we know God is faithful with. And so he tells him it will be your child. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not changing my covenant. I'm not changing my blessing. I have made up my mind. I am unchangeable, Abram. This is what you will have. And he says he will make that nation. Going back to Genesis 12 too, that's what he has. That's what he will see. But yet Abram still keeps going on and in verse 6 this is where it really gets good. I love this verse because we find it in the New Testament. Paul teaches about it and references it back to him as we talk about salvation and faith. And so in verse 6, in verse six he says this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Oh, my beloved, can you remember the moment that you accepted Christ for the first time? I think all of us may have a different experience or maybe a different place we were at when it happened, but I do believe that the Holy Spirit was no different working in any of us when we came to accept Christ. I believe it's the exact same Holy Spirit that dwells in me, that dwells in you, that convicted us to come to Christ to begin with. And in that moment, I know for myself as an atheist that had no wanting to believe God exists to believing and knowing God exists. It's a moment where I got to share in righteousness because of that belief. And so Abram believed. 
He told him, look at the stars. Remember what I've told you. Remember the nations that I've told you you will become. Don't forget. And Abram looked up and he believed and God accounted it to him as righteousness, as a right standing. You are correct. And so let's turn to Romans 4 for just a second and see why this is so important. So in Romans 4, chapter 9, the going through this justification and talking about the, the covenant and the circumcision and all these other things. And so he writes this in response to a lot of these things that are going on at the time. And it's this, starting in verse 9. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had had by faith while still uncircumcised. You see, what he's telling there and what he's teaching there is simply this. That he already believed. That the moment that belief happened, there wasn't something physical. There wasn't something magical. There wasn't some, something he had to step through, a whole bunch of rituals or anything else. He believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So therefore, we all are able to believe and have it counted to us as righteousness. It signifies the teaching that we come to understand, especially through the Reformation, of we have salvation through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Let me say that again. We have salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no magical formula. There is no perfect local body of believers that has it all correct in certain doctrines or anything else. There is no physical thing we have to constantly do. Because through God's grace, by our faith, in Christ alone, we are saved. And if we believe Scripture to be true and exactly what it is, then that's the life we should live willingly in front of everyone. We should never sit at any point in time in our lives, in our families, at home, or with inside of our church buildings and look at anyone in our communities or anyone in our families and say, you can only come over here and hear about Christ if you do X, Y, or Z. Oftentimes, we need to show our community, our family, our children, our parents, even ourselves, the stars of which God has set before us. And remember what Christ has done on the cross. Because without that, we were forever doomed. And if Abraham believed it, and it was counted to him as righteousness without any other pretext, then I promise you, Scripture has taken it from all the way in the Old Testament and floated into the New Testament, and it counts for us today. So grab onto it. Hang on to it. Love people where they are. Let people be who they are and show them the faith that you have that's credited as righteousness in Christ. Because it's not us who are going to save anybody. 
but it is the Holy Spirit that will convict and draw. So we must constantly work. If there's anything I've realized studying Abraham and studying my own life and studying some of the greatest mentors I've had in the Christian faith for me is this. As a believer, as a Christian, you know the one thing we will never have is retirement. You will never stop being a Christian. You will never stop proclaiming the gospel. You will never stop representing who God is so that you are not represented, but God is represented. I pray that for each and every one of you. That as our lives would fade away on this earth and we'd be eternally with Christ, that everyone around us would constantly say, it was God who worked great works in them. That a few generations later, that my name will be forgotten, but I will simply be an ancestor that was faithful to God. So my children would be faithful to God. So my grandchildren would be faithful to God. I think I could continue that on forever, but I think you get the point. This is the nations Abraham's talking about. Abraham's looking at, what heir will I have? Who am I going to leave these things to? And God's showing him the wonder. As we move on into verse 7, God kind of has to reassure Abraham a little bit, right? Abraham's still kind of asking some of these questions. He, he believes, but he does what we all do, right? God, yeah, I believe. I got this, but uh, how? Can you just tell me how? I think that's my downfall in my life. If I could know how everything worked before I had to do it, I'd be doing pretty good, right? So, let's go to verse 7. He also said to him, I am the Lord. He's having him remind him. Okay? This is counter to your righteousness. You got it. But remember, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I brought you out. Don't forget who I am. Don't forget what I've done. Don't forget where you were and how you got out. Because I am your Lord. And then Abraham responds in this conversation as God's trying to reassure him this way. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? I know in hindsight we got this, you know, 20,000 foot view reading this scripture on Abraham, right? And we know God's physically talking to him, telling you, this is what's going to happen. I pulled you out. You're going to possess these things. This is land. And then Abraham's going to go, but, but how? How, God? And all of us get to go, but God. God's talking to you physically. He's explaining these things to you. How could you possibly ask God, but how? I explain to you the same way we do in our own lives. But how? He said to him, bring me three, a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abraham does. He's obedient. That's exactly what he does. He brings everything that God has asked him to bring. And he sets it up, and he splits them in half, except for the birds, and he's ready to sacrifice, and he places them on the altar. He's, he's okay, we're going to do this. And as he does that, Part of these animals, uh, I believe it's three out of five. Somebody 
that, that may have a little more knowledge of the sacrificial animal, uh, system, uh, then uh, please correct me later if I'm wrong on this. Um, but I believe three out of the five were typically used um, and typically prescribed for Israel's sacrificial rituals. And the others were not. The others were stables for economy and, and, and very beneficial for their use to things. But at the same time, they come through and they, they do these things and, and, and signifying very physically the covenant that God is placing and setting up with Abraham. Showing this truth. And so a sacrifice is still having to be made and, and, and things be purified, but it doesn't end there. He sets all of it up. He's running these birds off. They're trying to eat the carcasses. And then he gets tired. And he goes to sleep. One of the greatest things in life. To sleep. I love it. Um, until my wife tells me I can't sleep anymore. I got, I got stuff to do. She kept yelling at me this morning. And I kept saying I didn't want to go. And she said, but you're preaching. And I said, oh, right. So he finally falls asleep, and this kind of darkness descends on him, this heavy weight of everything that's going on. And in this vision, as he's talking to him, the Lord said to Abram, know this for certain, Mm. your offspring will be strangers in a land that does not belong to them. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. If you haven't heard the story of the Israelites in bondage in Egypt, this is where it goes. He's told him now, I'm going to give you this blessing. I'm going to go through these things. Abraham believes. It's counter to him in righteousness. He has full faith. And then God goes on to tell him, but they're still going to be in captivity. They're, they're going to have some really hard times. Things aren't going to work out exactly probably as you're thinking. For 400 years, that's what's going to happen, Abraham. Well, if Abraham wasn't anxious or had high anxiety then, he probably does now. You're telling me my children's 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 children are going to suffer? It's going to be terrible? They're going to be captivity? They're going to have all these things that are going on? How is that going to work? But God continues. He didn't just stop at that point. Verse 14, however, I will judge the nation they serve. And afterwards, they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. He brings all this through. The sacrifices happen. He he sets all this up. He falls in this sleep. And God says, all those stars going to be in captivity but let me reassure you i am still god i still know what i'm doing i still have everything under control i am sovereign and they will be in captivity for 400 years but it won't just end there i will judge the nation that's held them in captivity i will pull them out of the land that they are in i will set the captives free and you will live to a ripe old age and you will be buried with your fathers Because there is hope, Abram. 
because I am your God. You have believed. I've counted it to you on righteousness. I've told you this before. Don't worry about not having the heir yet. It's going to come. It's going to be of your own flesh and blood. And things won't always be easy, but I am still God. I still know what I'm doing. I knitted you together in your mother's womb. I created the heavens and the earth. I got this. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder sometimes. I watch friends and I watch family and I and oh man, go to seminary. I tell you what, that'll make you reconsider standing up here. And I wonder where everybody's going to be when it's all said and done. I've had the blessing of both of my oldest children confessing faith in Christ and being able to baptize them. But I'm still fearful of their children. Will they believe? Will my great-grandchildren believe? God, am I glorifying you? Am I honestly doing what you've asked me to do? How much captivity might there be in my family? So sometimes I need that reassurance to read these words and stay in Scripture and pray to God that my family can, can stand before him because he is God and I am not. Have you been there? So as this goes on, we start wrapping up and we get to the last of it. The sacrifice is still sitting there. And so in verse 17 it says, when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring. On that day. So what's a flaming pot and a, and a fiery torch passes through? What does that mean? Simply put, it's extremely symbolic as it passes through the sacrifice that is there so things would be purified, so, so the sacrifice would be made, so the things of God has been asked, so that Abraham is obedient, that in that entire process, as it passes through the split animals of both of those, it shows us God is present. God is there the whole time. And this covenant is made not to be taken away. And so it becomes this dual promise that Abraham sits on. That God has said, I will give you children. You will have offspring. And I will give you this land. Your offspring will possess it. And he seals it. He says, this is truth. This is where we are, and this is what I've promised you. Nothing about this will change. Nothing about this will not come to fruition because I'm your God. And so Abraham believes, and God is reaffirming that. And he's saying, I'm still with you. I mean, my presence hasn't ever left you. 
How amazing is that? So, as we see that and we understand that and we go through that, what does all that mean for us? Right? What is the practical application for us as believers today? How do we deal with that? How do we move forward with it? What, what do we do with all this information? Abram's fought this battle, met Melchizedek, he's had... The king of Sodom come before him. He's rejected these riches. God has said, I'm your shield. He says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you these rewards. I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to give your offspring land. And Abram's still going, but why? But how? Can you show me? And then he believes, and God counts it to him in righteousness. What about you? What about me? How does we handle that? Where do we see that? So I want to stress very, very strongly back to verse 6. To Abram believing and it be accounted to righteousness that we would then find later in romans after christ has been crucified and risen from the dead that he talks about that righteousness because the argument starts becoming only specific people with a specific sign can show and have this salvation of this covenant that has been promised to them that's it and if you don't have that then you need to get it and paul starts to write and go that is not true don't forget Abram. That's this story. Don't forget Abram. He rejects the riches of man so he can point to the glory of God. So man can't say that he made him rich, but he can say God has made him rich. It was apart from him. He didn't do it, but God did it. I promise you today, I do not sit here and have the family I have or the blessings I've received just as I don't believe you have either, on your own. I believe God has been an integral part of all of it, solely to his glory. So that's what it means for us. Going back to that reformation of through grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone. I can't stress that enough. I can't point to it enough. that we find concerning that salvation, God keeps his promises. And as the good Southern Baptist I'm supposed to be, I truly believe that once saved, always saved. I do not believe that your salvation can be ripped away from you by anything you can do. I do not believe that you can cause yourself to magically be saved either. I believe the Holy Spirit must have a conviction pulling you towards Him to do that. I do not believe that you can save anyone else, but I believe God can work through you and use you and have you there as an instrument that others may come to know Him. So stand bold. Stand bold on the promises of God and the covenants that you know He has set, truly understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, that it was preached out, that we heard it, that we have proofs of it. And that not only that, but Jesus Christ himself is part of the Holy Trinity, being one of the three, being also God himself. That is what makes us unique as Christians, as opposed to others who may claim to be Christians. Not only do we believe Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, but we also believe him to be part of the Holy Trinity, which also makes him God. In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later in that, ver in that, in that entire section you read that that Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. 
I know of no other religion that God himself is willing to come down and sacrifice himself for his creation. And say, you don't have to work for your salvation. And that's where Abram stood. I believe. And God said, you are right. So as all these things happen, and we start seeing the covenant set, and we start seeing all these things happen, we'll learn later. I know Pastor Kyle will come up and we'll keep teaching and we'll hear of the birth of the children and we'll hear about Ishmael and Isaac and how all these things worked out. And it didn't exactly work out as Abram thought it was going to work out, but it worked out. It's kind of like I said earlier, it didn't exactly work out like going to Fort Worth and then moving somewhere else instead of Alamogordo, New Mexico, but it's worked out. So in closing, as I get ready for the invitation, I know that may be a little bit shorter than what everybody's used to, but I don't want to over-preach a simple subject. I implore you, take Abram as an example. Hold on to your faith. Know that God has already stamped it through the saving grace of Jesus Christ and let nothing else stand in the way of it. You may have doubts of your salvation. You may have doubts of where God's taking you. That's okay. We saw Abram ask the same questions, but it didn't mean that he stopped believing. And ask God questions. He's big. He can handle it. Or encourage others. Lift up one another. Love one another. Help one another. The greatest thing that me and my my family can have right now is the point that we joined here at First Baptist. And you guys have loved on us and smiled at us and shook our hands and we couldn't be more blessed. And we couldn't feel more loved. I forgot what it meant to sit in a pew and just be able to listen and be part of a family again. And I thank you. So I ask you to do the same. With this message, go out. Proclaim the gospel. Live it boldly and know that God has made that covenant true. That others may come to know it to be true. Amen? So now let me get ready for the invitation. Simply put this way. Um, I don't know if we have any music for the invitation, do we? Yes, okay. So as we get ready for the invitation, I don't know where you stand in your faith. I don't know what's going on while you're here. Maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ or maybe you... You just need somebody to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. It's one of the greatest things we can do with each other. Or maybe you're going, I I never really understood what it meant to actually have faith in Christ. Have faith in his crucifixion and his resurrection, knowing that he is also truly God. I've never made that commitment, and I need to make it today. I'm asking you, come walk down the aisle. I'm not a perfect guy, but man, I will pray with you. I will do everything I can to help you. We, we have some wonderful people here as well. But by all means, please don't walk out the door if you don't know. I beg you. Come to Christ. 
But like I said, if you need to make some changes or you need some prayer, you need recommitment, the altar is always open. Come and pray. Come and kneel. So if we can have the music, we'll open the invitation. I'll be up here. I'll pray with you. I promise I'll turn off the mic. I'll even cry with you. The big snot bubbles too. We'll, we'll, we'll ball together. But whatever you do, don't leave today without at least talking to God and letting him know what he's doing. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.